Uh, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John, 1 John that is, because we started a series a couple of weeks ago. So we, we will be in chapter 3, and the, the phrasing that we put on this series is, who do you love? Who do you love? Um, John <clears throat> starts out in the first couple of chapters, and he dives right in by talking about light and darkness and sin and, uh, and draws some pretty, uh, pretty big lines in the sand for us on how, how, how do we figure out where we are? How do we figure out who we are in Christ and what that looks like? And so then in chapter three, um, he brings us to this place uh, that's a little interesting. And the way that I described it uh, earlier in the first service was that, um, that when the government wants to... Um, to tell people how to look for counterfeit money, they actually start out by not giving them counterfeit money and showing them what that looks like. They, they start out by giving them real money and showing them what the real money looks like and feels like and how it looks under the light and what to look for. And they start out by doing that. And that's what John is doing in this third chapter uh, for all of us. He doesn't get on the, um, this is what the, the devil's people look like. Uh, he gets on to looking like this is what followers of Christ look like. And here's how you can know if you're a follower of Christ and then how to observe that and, and to watch that. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, in the chapter 3 of First John. And the question that I'd pose to you, because you don't have any notes if you notice, uh, the way that I described it today is that in case I needed to go long, I didn't want to scare you. In case I needed to go short, I didn't want you to know it. So that's why you don't have any fill in the blanks, you know, a la Jonathan Beasley style today. You'll just have to go with it. So if you are taking notes, here you go. This is what I would want you uh, to write down. The reasons for righteous living. Why would we do this? What? Why would we want this life of righteousness and holiness and and, and uh, kind of the question that always at least comes, comes back for me because I'm a little selfish and self-centered is what's in it for me? Why would I want to do this? Why, why would I want to be uh, up to this standard and, and live like this? And, and what, what are the results? And then how does that affect me? Uh, because after all, at least according to my wife, the world revolves around Jonathan. And so that's funny. That's what she tells me. My wife tells me, okay, you guys are going to be a tough crowd today. It wasn't like the Razorbacks didn't win yesterday. We won, <laughs> right? Okay, come on. So how does that affect me? There's a couple of things that we need to recognize about that. Why should we, re why should we live this righteous life and, and kind of how does that affect me? So verses one through three, here, here's how we'll see it, is, is the affection of the Father. Okay, so that'd be number one, the affection of the Father. How does this affect me? It's the affection of the Father, and uh, under that I would put like our position. So let's read uh, verses one through three together, and then we'll, then we'll move on. See how, <clears throat> see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to the world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what he will 
be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have the eager and, and uh, expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So when we say the affection of our father, <clears throat> it means this. God the father and his affection for us. And the way that that looks and, and, and the way that I kind of put it in Jonathan language is this, is a sub, sub, sub note there would be our position. And he tells us in that first, that very first um, verse that our position is that, that we are children of God. So let me give a little definition for that really quick so that we understand that. That if we're, if we're a child of God, if we're a follower of Christ, the, the reason I want to give that definition is because I believe that just like me, a lot of you might have grown up in church. So you have a knowledge. I mean, you can find you know, a, a, a book in the Bible. You can flip through and kind of give a story. Though we might get a little less confused according to Old Testament and to New Testament. So we can say that we are religious because we've gone to church or uh, honestly some of our dads were you know deacons or our pastors are you know in the church and so we've been to church right <clears throat> but that doesn't necessarily make us a Christian because we've been to church it makes us religious and by the way it makes us a church goer but it doesn't make us a Christian. And so what happens is all the way back in, in the very book of uh, the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, we see that God created Adam and Eve and that they sinned. And that sin caused the separation. You go like, OK, this is 101. It is 101. But here's the deal. We need to understand 101 so that we can understand why John wrote what he did about children of God. So we we have this separation from God so he gave his only son. In fact, John 3:16 for most of us if we remember that God so loved what? Come on. The what? The world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you and me. So God so loved us. That's our position that God so loved us that he gave his son so that you and I could be reunited so that you and I could have fellowship again so that we could be reconnected because it's the way that God created us to have fellowship with him that we could have that fellowship again with him and it only comes through his son Jesus Christ. And he loved us so much it says that he gave his only son so that could happen. Again, So our position is this, that if you this morning are a follower of Christ, you have a relationship, and I say this very definitively, you know that you're going to spend eternity with heaven, in heaven, with God. That's how serious that relationship is. Okay, I'm not talking about walking an aisle. I'm not even talking about getting baptized. By the way, it's good and warm. If you need to later on, I can dunk you. We did three this morning, just letting you know that ahead of time. You could go home and be wet because, I mean... Where are you going to go from here? So just throwing that out there in case you need to. You can get all that done in the name of God and still not have a personal relationship with him. You're like, Jonathan, are you trying to confuse us this morning? I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying to let you know that you either know God and the way that I'll describe it for any of us who, is, who, who are married is this way. How did you know that she was the one or he was the one? And my dad described it like this. Son, you'll just know. What? What do you mean you'll just know? How do you just know? And by the way, for, you know, first 10 years of my, what I called adult life, I thought I knew a lot. And I thought there was a lot that I needed to marry. 
because I thought I knew, right? Because, I mean, Dad said, you'll know. But man, when I really came to the place where I realized what knowing was, and when I experienced that with Elizabeth, there's no doubt in my mind. And we have that same kind of relationship because it's the way God created us for fellowship and relationship is that we know if we have a relationship with him and we know, listen to me, we know there's a peace in your heart that you'll be with eterni- in eternity with him in heaven. And if you don't this morning, hey, I understand it's okay. I've been there. But you need to know. You need to have that comfort and peace. And so that's what John is telling us. Hey, if you're his child, if you know, okay, so he kind of puts it pretty, I mean, hey, if you know that you're his child, and then he says, because the world's going to think differently because they don't know him. So they're not going to look at you any different. They're going to see all of us as same old people. Hey, what's going on? Because they don't know any different about that relationship with God. So then he starts telling us what those qualities are, what those things are that people might know that we would be different, that we would be like Christ. So our position is very important. Here's a couple of things. Actually, three things that you could write down about our, our position in Christ. First of all, it's unbelievable. Okay, because this is something that according to the scripture is that you and I, um, we don't deserve. The, the, the Old Testament tells us that our very best, me trying my very best to do what God wants and me trying my very best to help everybody, me trying my very best is as what? Filthy what? Rags. Because it's not about me trying to do all these things for God so that I can find his favor. The scripture tells us that that sin in Genesis between Adam and Eve and the sin that you and I inherited, it separates us from God and that we are depraved. That we, we don't have the capability to have that relationship that God said without his son, Jesus Christ. And so we see that it's, it's unbelievable that God would love us so much that he would give his son to us. And logically, that just sometimes that doesn't fit well for me. Do you all understand what I'm saying? How could God love me so much that he would do that? Because I know myself every day. I know how I treat my wife sometimes. I know how I treat my kids. I know what I think about some of y'all. Okay? I know how I treat the Taco Bell lady. I know myself. And I'm going like, how can God still love me? That unconditional love. And then the second thing I find is that it's undeserved. It's undeserved because to me it's unbelievable that he would even still do this for me. That he would still love me. That he would still care for me. Why that he would even give me continued existence when I treat him the way that I do. And some of the things that I continue to fail in. Why? It's undeserved, and that, that's something I can't get my, my hands around either. He, he loves me so much, and I don't deserve it? How does that make you feel? Is it like me? It's like, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't get it. And, and then this third part kind of turns the light on for me. It's unearthly. And the unearthly part is simply this. There, there's no love like that on this earth that can make sense like that. It has to be of a heavenly type of love. It has to be from above because I can't put it in the human terms to figure out how this makes logical sense that God would love me so much 
no matter what I've done in the past and no matter what I've done even today, he even says what I do in the future, that he has forgiven me. So I look at all those and I say, Lord, that's my position is that I am your child and you love me despite all that. So our position is you and I are his child and that we can live like his children. And then it, <clears throat> this is kind of interesting to me that, that we look at it. He says it's, it's our position in Christ, but then is our potential. This is out of verse two. If you want to just write that down, our potential. Listen to this. I love this. And, 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 and the way that I kind of describe this, and I know I'm going to get a little laughter out of you, so I'm preparing you ahead of time, is that, that in my earlier days before I was married, that uh, me and my group of guys, we kind of would date girls and we would say they had Poe. And if they had Poe, that meant potential. They had Poe, that means there was a chance. Thank you very much. I know we were sick guys, I understand. But if there's potential, that means, hey, you, there's a shot, right? But then that potential could, could change according to something. Not gonna get into that, then I'd really get in trouble today. The potential would change, right? So. You would date someone for their potential, right? Would you marry someone for their potential? Would you want to base your whole season on somebody's potential at quarterback or running back or a pitcher because of their potential? You see where I'm going with that? And here's what the, here's what the Lord says in verse 2. He says, you and I have potential, and I kind of thought of that with like, I like finality. I like knowing that, hey, this is what I'm getting. This is what I know. There's no potential. There's no risk. There's no, I kind of want, I thought the Lord was always the same yesterday, to, to, today, and tomorrow, right? I was wanting to count that. And then he talks about my potential. Our potential is this, that one day, one day we are going to be all that God saved us to be. That's what our potential is. That one day that we'll be, I might not look not like much now and you might not look very good now. But our potential is in, in God through his son Jesus Christ that we will be what he wants us to be. God is going to perfect, listen, God is going to perfect a work of grace in our life and in your life, mine. And we have the potential, listen, to be someday like Jesus is right now. That's what our hope, that's what our goal, that's what our desire, that's what our passion becomes is that we can be like Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. Remember the Gatorade commercials back in the 80s and 90s, Michael Jordan is, everything was like, I want to be like Mike. And as Christians and as followers of Christ, our desire is that we want to be like Jesus. And then we recognize pretty quick, can't really be like Jesus. He loved people that were unlovable. He kind of did some miracles and all of us would get looked at funny today if we did miracles. How do we be like Jesus? We want to be like his character. We want to be like he treated people. It says that we can live to that potential. It's not complete in us, okay, you guys? We're not there. I get it, you get that. But that's what we desire to be like. That's what we aspire to live our life and, and, and to look like, is to be like him. The church is not perfect. And God knows this church isn't perfect. But God is ironing out all our wrinkles so that one day we'll be the church. And the church in the world will be the church that it's supposed to be, that God will be ready to bring back his son Jesus. And it's called the bride of Christ.
And so we, we look at our potential and realize that that is in Jesus. And then he, then he tells us this, and this is where I'll slap myself and y'all around a little bit. Then he talks in verse three about our practice. Our position and our potential should determine our practice. Now, let me be real clear on something. I'm not taking away from God's sovereignty and who he is. And if you and I just tried to look at God and what he wants to do, here's what I understand about this, that, that you guys, our position and our potential should determine our practice. And our practice, by the way, our practice should be something that you and I should be doing. We practice being like Jesus. We practice doing the things that Jesus would want us to do. And that's what he says in verse three is this is the practice of what it looks like. In fact, think about it this way. If we were to study this morning, the second coming um, and what that looks like, I mean, there would be excitement and curiosity, right? The second coming. I mean, here's the second coming of Christ. Here's what we have to look to. All the things that we are supposedly believing about Jesus and, and about God and all those come to fruition. And, and here's what's going to happen in that day, the second coming. And, and by the way, if you get into Revelation, some of it's really exciting and then some of it's like scary. Right. But that's also the other side of the second coming is as preachers and people, we kind of think about the second coming and we go like, that's that's scaring me because of some of the things that we read about. Now, there's a judgment and there's some of these things that happen to people who 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 haven't treated other people right. And then then you're judged and I'm judged and we 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 sit before the Lord and then there's some of us, that if you're like me, you think like this, well, Lord, I, I love that, but, but, but can you give us a little bit more time here on earth? There's some things I want to accomplish. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? For some of y'all, y'all'd like to be married, right? Lord, couldn't I experience that? It's biblical. <laughs> like to hang out, you know, like to have kids, right? We, so we kind of go through these things and we think about the second coming and something that should be exciting and, and man, here's, here's the coming of Christ. And yet we say, well, why, what does that have to do with the practice? Well, here's the practice part. The practice is that we're practicing this walk in our spiritual life. Because what he says in verse 3 is that, 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 that you guys, every man that has the hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So if Jesus is coming again and he were coming tomorrow, let's just say that we knew it. Would we, would we do some of the stuff we're going to do today? Hello? If we knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, would we do some of the things we did yesterday? Would we treat some of the people the way we treated them? Would we spend our money on some of the things that we spent our money on? Would we have done some of the things that we did this week if we knew Jesus was coming and there was a judgment day? He says to purify that, that we, that we purify ourselves in verse three, that we purify in the hope of that Jesus is coming and that we would be made pure, that we would be right for him. So we live each day with that thought. We live each day. I remember one of, one of the guys that did help me when I was 25 years old with some financial planning, you know, so that I would have something later on in life. He said, hey, Jonathan, plan as though God is not sending Jesus back for a long time. Plan that way. I was 25 years old. Plan that way. Not married, not even thinking about that. Loving spending money on my toy, I mean my stuff. Right? 
plan is, though, Jesus isn't coming back for a long time so that you can plan for your family and all those things that you're not thinking about yet. But live your life like he's coming back tomorrow. So if that was how we were living our life, he says that, that we would want to be pure. For, so when we think about our potential and this practice and, and how that works, then, then we understand our position is because the affection of the Father that loves you and I. That's how he loves us. And so we, we live that way. But here's the key. Look in verses 4 through 8. The manifestation of his son. You go like, okay, big word. Thank you. Manifestation is this, you guys. Manifestation is this, this word appeared. He appeared. How Jesus appeared. And this is very interesting what John did because he didn't say this is what Jesus is doing. He used this in two ways. He used Jesus in the past tense. Manifested. He appeared. And this is how he said he appeared. Let's read that real quick. Verses four through eight. Um, Let me find it. Thank you. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in sin, anyone who, who continues to live in him will not sin. But everyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, it's us, right? Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Two things, okay? The manifestation of the Son, the appearance of that, Jesus and The past is what John put him in. There were two things that we see. First of all, verses four through seven is that he removes the practice of sin. If you don't have this, write it down. I'm telling you, you want to keep this somewhere. He removes the practice of sin. What does that look like and what does that mean? It means this, that that in the King James, this word is used. Prasso, P-R-A-S-S-O. And that word meant this. The practice is the same word as commit. The practice of sin. In other words, Jesus Christ came and he takes away the practice of sin of the devil. So when Jesus came and he did what he did and died for our sins and and took that all upon himself, he took away the practice of sin of the devil. So you and I don't have to practice sin anymore. Y'all understand what I'm saying with practice? We don't have to continue to do that every day. Do we do it? Yes. Do we fail every day? Yes. But we don't have to practice that. We don't have to continue to live in that. And there's a way out in just a minute. I'll tell you, okay, there's always something. But he says we don't have to practice that anymore. You don't understand, Jonathan. You don't understand some of the stuff that happened to me or my family or my childhood or you don't understand the addiction. I don't understand a lot of what some of you are going through. But I know this, that Jesus changes lives. And Jesus does not want, listen to me, Jesus does not want you (laughs) struggling with that addiction. Jesus does not want those relationships broken that need to be mended. And he doesn't want us to practice sin are we going to fail? Sure, you guys, we're going to fail. But he says that, that, that he, Jesus, came to take that away. We don't have to practice anymore because of this. The Spirit of God, 
God's spirit dwells in each of us. And that's what happened at the New Testament church is that when Jesus showed up on the scene and he did what he did, is that the new church didn't have to practice anymore because God's spirit lives inside you and me. And then that's not all he said in verse eight. It says that Jesus robbed Satan of his power. Now, that's pretty awesome. So not only do we not have to practice sin on a regular basis, but then it says that, that Jesus robbed S Satan of his power. The, the word there, it says destroy. It didn't mean to, to, you know, to, to totally get rid of, but it meant this. The word is translated destroy, which means this, to take away the power of the devil. That's what the word was, was there in, in verse 8, to take away the power of the devil. The Bible says this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what? Y'all don't know that one? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, once we know our position, listen to me, once we know our position, we're God's children, right? Then... We need to understand what Jesus did for us, what he manifested, what he appeared to do was those two things. One, he took away the practice of sin from Satan. And then second, he, he took away his power over us. A Christian is not going to continue to sin continually. Does it mean that we don't have struggle with it? I'm not saying that saying it's not going to be habitual. You're not going to keep wanting to do that. It's not going to be in you to keep wanting. Does that mean that you fail? Yes. Does that mean we can have strongholds? Absolutely. Does that mean there's addictions and things that, that hold us to that past that just we struggle? Yes. But part of it is because we believed the deception and the lies that Satan tells us that we can't have victory over sin and that we don't have any power because the power of, of, of Satan seems to be stronger than us and that is not biblical. It is a lie from Satan. Then he gives us the beauty of his spirit. And I put in verse nine and 10, the regeneration by the spirit is this. Let me read it to you. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and, and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So this is, this is what he tells us. <clears throat> that man, in this part, that we have a new nature. Okay, we have a new nature when we enter into this relationship with Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, 23, it, it talks about this. The seed that John is talking about is the word of God, okay? That's what he's telling us in John. 1 Peter, he says this. You are not born of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth for you forever. The Bible teaches that we have two parents, mom and a dad. The Bible teaches that we have two parents spiritually, it's the word and the spirit of God. Okay, this is the word. Then God's spirit lives in you and dwells in, in you. So we have those two parents dwelling in us that we have God's word to help guide us. We have God's spirit to help guide us. But here's the deal. Just like physically, we need things physically, right? We need food. 
in, uh, in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we need food. Guess what we need spiritually? Spiritual food. Okay, spiritual food. We need to have time with him. We need to, to allow his Holy Spirit to, to indwell us and, and to live to the fullest part of what he wants for us. But we don't do that. So let me describe it this way that was described by an old American Indian. He had come to know Christ and he described the old man and the, and the new man this way in, in the old nature and this new nature. Okay, these two natures that were fighting. There are two dogs that live in me. One's the old dog. He's mean, vicious, hard, and sinful. Then there's the new dog who walks in Christ and after Christ. And they're constantly fighting to control me. Which one wins? The one I feed the most. That's the one that wins. Does that make sense? There are two natures that are within us, an old and a new nature. They're fighting for dominance. Who's going to win? The one that you and I feed the most. So it's like this. You walk in the world, you walk in the circles and talk and tell the same jokes they tell and, and do the same things they do. And then you live by the world standards and I live by the world standards and, and we do the same rules that the world has. That means that I'm feeding the dominance of the world to live in me more than I'm feeding the dominance of God and what he wants. If I walk in the spirit, I spend time in the word of God. I spend time praying. I spend time with, with other believers that can help encourage me because every day out in the world is sometimes discouraging and the things that we find out there. And I spend time, uh, spend time in, encouraging and getting help from those people, other believers. Then who am I feeding? The scripture tells us there's a couple of things and we'll finish with this. There's a couple of things that we must understand that our body needs physically is one, you and I take a bath and a shower and clean ourselves, right? Brush our teeth. And then the other thing we do, according to my PT, so I'll go in to work out and she'll ask what I ate yesterday. Hello. Did I eat? you know, skinless chicken and some salad and some oil or did I have a chicken fried steak and a baked potato and whatever. You see, because there's a cleansing that has to happen physically for us to be okay. There's also a cleansing that has to happen spiritually, you guys, and it's very simple. That God looks at sin and he says that sin can't exist in our lives. And he sent his son Jesus so that we can make that way with sin. And here's the bottom line is that you and I have to confess sin. And confessing sin means this, that we have to agree with God about that sin. And you guys, I can honestly tell you, I agree with God about a lot of my sin. I'm pretty quick. You know, I'm the preacher. Don't want to get in trouble. Don't want to get fired, right? I agree with God very quickly about my sin. But the scripture doesn't let us get away with just agreeing with God about our sin. You see, there, there's, an old, there's an old word that's used in most of our denominations that we grew up in, but we don't say it very much anymore. And the word is repentance. So it's not enough for me to agree about that sin. Repentance is 
the turning away from. I was in one direction heading. And repenting means that I stop going in that direction and I go in a new direction. And that's what repenting is. So I can agree with God about my sin and confess that and make him right. But I also need to turn and repent from that and head in a different direction. And that's what he says. Is how we make that right and how we see the cleansing of that. And then listen to this. There's, there's a part in 1 Timothy 4. You can just jot it down. And it says there's an exercise. If you eat all the time and don't exercise, you're going to get in bad shape. Makes sense. Listen to this. But if you exercise all the time and don't eat, you're going to die. <laughs> right? So physically, here's this thing that we can understand. But this is also what it takes spiritually. He says, how do we get the proper balance? How do you do that? How do we do that as believers and followers of Christ? And he says this, hey, we get that exercise inward spiritually by doing things like this, by witnessing. Say, Jonathan, I can't, I can't witness. I can't tell somebody on the corner down there at Dixon about Jesus with a Bible in my hand and a track and all that. Guys, witnessing is, is sharing your testimony. Sharing what Jesus did in your life. And in the book of Matthew, he says, as you go. You're doing that as you go. Your testimony, how Jesus changed your life, okay? That's what a witness is. And, and we do that by, by doing that. And we do that by sharing with other people, by helping and encouraging and, and, and challenging and sharing with other people. By, by the way, both those things, that's code for discipleship being a disciple of Christ. So we share and we, we, we do that. And then, and we serve. And, and when we serve, we have no expectation. We're not wearing our little church at Arkansas uh, t-shirts and, and we're not handing our cup out when we serve out there. We're just serving. And that people will know that there's a difference in our life in the way that we do that. And let me end by giving you this verse of scripture that kind of sums up what John was telling about, but it does it in a different way, and it, I th think it'll encourage you this morning. This is found in Romans 12. So, dear brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. That is truly the way to worship him. Listen, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know what's interesting? He didn't say in that scripture, present your soul. He didn't say present your spirit. He said, present your body because our body is what encases the soul and the spirit. And the spirit can't go anywhere without this body. And so he says, present that. And what does that mean? It means present everything. He, Paul meant give it all. Give it all to him today. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I ask very simply that you use your spirit to convict any of us. And Lord, when I say convict, I just mean, Lord, to show any of us where we're not, where we're not dwelling with you, where we're not right with you. Would, you. 
Lord, would you just show us where, where we're not following you or we haven't, we haven't abandoned everything that we are to you, God. Lord, I, I know that, that many of us this morning, we, we struggle with, with Lord's sin. And, and, and Lord, we come to that place where we agree with you about our sin, but Lord, then we don't know what to do. And Lord, this morning, our position and what you tell us is that you died for that sin. And that we don't have to live that way anymore. And we don't have to live under that bondage and, and all the stuff that it means. Lord would, you, Lord, would you just release your spirit to show us this morning if any of us are just, are, are just struggling and, and we can't get past, Lord, what it means to really live with you. Lord, all of us know that there's a time and a place that, that every man shall die. But Lord, while we're here, would you let us experience and encounter you in such a way that we would all know that we truly live. And Lord, just in the next, next few moments of this song, Lord, if, if it's in our seat needing to, to get something right with you, if, if Lord, it's asking a question and someone needs to come and pray with me up front, if, if Lord, it's just responding by saying, Lord, I want more of you, and less of this world in me. Lord, would you just let people respond during this song to you correctly?